there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for Coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome to another K-Cup mini episode of Time for Coffee. By the way, K-Cups come in three sizes, single, double, and triple shots, or roughly one minute, five minutes, or 10 minutes in length. So if you don't have time to throw back an entire caffeinated career conversation, these K-Cup mini episodes of T4C can give you a quick caffeinated fix, whether you're on the go or you only have a few minutes to binge. So grab your mug and take a chug, because it's time for a caffeinated career triple shot K-Cup with my guest, David Halbert. How old were you when you started scouting? Oh, wow. So I started scouting actually in third grade in Cub Scouts when I lived in Ohio and then continued after I moved to Massachusetts as a young man and was in scouting until I was 18 and earned my Eagle Scout Award and then left school and went off to college. I actually had to look this up because I have never been a scout. I wasn't a Girl Scout and clearly wasn't a Boy Scout. And I didn't realize that there are 21 merit badges that you need to get in order to become an Eagle Scout. That's true. That's true. There's a section of them that are required. So all Scouts get them or some have some variation there and for accessibility issues. And then you have a whole other set that kind of speak to your interests. And so I was fortunate enough to earn those badges and I got everything from camping and swimming, the things you kind of expect to American cultures and salesmanship. Actually, it was one of my other badges. Wow. Was there a particular merit badge that you you are most proud of getting? You know, looking back, I think it really was that American Culture's merit badge. And it was because one, not a lot of people had it. So when you're at other events, you know, you kind of look to see who's got what badge and what they did for the ones that you don't see all that often. But two, I think it started me on a pathway of inclusivity and of thinking about things from a civic perspective. But I will say those are part and parcel with three required badges that you have to get, all Scouts have to get, and I'm glad they do, which are the three citizenship badges, citizenship in your community, citizenship in the nation, and citizenship in the world. And so thinking through how you act in an intentional fashion to be an active part of your community to give back and to make it better. Well, speaking of being a part of a community, and certainly you and I are both Americans. You may live in Massachusetts. I live in Maryland, but we are both part of the same country and pledge allegiance to the same flag. And before we get into what you're doing today in your current job, I'd like to ask you about how you and your family, you have two small children, how all of you are doing in the wake of the very public murders of black Americans at the hands of police in in so many states all over this country, whether it was George Floyd in Minnesota, Ahmed Arbery in Georgia, Breonna Taylor in Kentucky, and then just over the weekend, Jacob Blake was seriously injured. Some of his relatives are saying he may even be paralyzed from the waist down by police in Wisconsin who shot him seven times as his three young children, his three little boys, looked on from the backseat of his car. Well, I think it's a incredibly pressing question. As a black man in America, I exist in a different space than many of my counterparts in society. And that's something that I am proud of in the fact that it is 
an incredibly rich heritage that I come from. Uh, you know, I think to my family, go back to my grandfather. My father grew up in St. Louis, Missouri. My grandfather came there from Mississippi where he had to flee because of threats of racial violence. I think of people like my grandfather on my mother's side who growing up in the coal country in West Virginia, I had to take a job literally running dynamite into mines in order to make enough money because there were so few economic opportunities that he could leave and pursue a better life in Cincinnati where my mother grew up and where I was born. And I look at the strife and the struggles of them and so many others, and I draw that line of what they went through and what they endured and what they worked for and to see in some ways that we've made such tremendous progress, right? The fact that I am able to live the life that I lead is built on the backs and the blood and the sweat and the tears of them and so many others, but also that there's still so many obstacles that we need to overcome in society. So I look at my, as you said, I have two small children, two young daughters who are thankfully very small at five and two. And sometimes I'm, I'm happy that they don't understand a lot of what's going on around them and that they're able to maintain that innocence because I know it is fleeting. And particularly for young children of color, it leaves far too quickly and far faster than it does for their counterparts who are white in society and in American society. And also those who are wealthy versus those who are poor. There are so many distinctions that we draw in our society. So to hear the stories of, you know, Ahmaud Arbery and to hear the stories of Breonna Taylor and so many others who sadly have been lost and lost their lives before them, it makes you understand that while we have come far, there is still very much work to do. Well, I also think you're in a a very interesting position to be able to speak to what's happening in this country because you've also worked for the people on the justice side of this equation. You've worked for the sheriff of Middlesex and were responsible for community affairs. You were the deputy director of community affairs. So as a black man and as somebody who has worked on the side of law enforcement, what are your thoughts about where we are today? I think it puts us into an interesting and unfortunately difficult position as a society. One of the things that I'm most proud of in the work that I did at the sheriff's office is working alongside some really visionary leaders within the department to help establish what was in the People of Color and Criminal Justice Conference. And it was a conference specifically geared towards individuals you know, like myself and so many others who have feet in both communities and both members of the criminal justice community writ large. So everything from your you know, police officer probation officers, corrections officers, and the like, but who also go home every day, whether they have their uniform on or they don't, their skin, they always have on, their culture, they always carry with them. And that sometimes those can act in concert, but oftentimes those can find themselves in conflict. And having a conference that public forum that spoke to the challenges that many uh, individuals in those positions feel, I think is very important in getting to a greater and better outcome for our society. But also it's not lost on me that those individuals, and I give so many of them you know, not being directly in that environment anymore, but those who have stood up and talked about, once again, the need for more transparency, 
more openness in terms of seeking racial equity and racial justice, particularly application of our criminal justice system. And to do so while also wearing the uniform, wearing the badge, I think it gives some validity. And I give all credit to those individuals because when you are in a job where literally your life can be on the line and to stand up and to be counted and to speak out from a place of moral conviction and ideology that is rooted in uplifting communities that are often left behind, marginalized, brutalized, and abused is the height of courage and valor, in my opinion. So which profession are you you alluding to there or which community are you alluding to there? Sure. I've seen police officers, corrections officers, others who are in these spaces and who have taken some of these stances publicly. I'd love to see more. And I'm glad to see some who are moving in that direction and not just people of color who are in those professions, but also those who are in the professions who want to be allies. But when you look at it on the balance in terms of the numbers of individuals, there's just quite a lot of people who I don't think are necessarily trying to be bad or even seeing themselves in that way, but their silence speaks volumes. But it's very hard. You're dealing with, particularly in corrections and in law enforcement, in terms of police, you're dealing with very hierarchical systems. You're dealing with systems where the notion of the blue line and trust are are very real things. And they have significant impacts on the society and on the sociology and culture that exists there. And so trying to hold in balance that you, as I said, when I ran for office, it's about making sure that everyone gets home safe when there's an encounter and not just the individuals who uh, have a badge on. I think as we shift our paradigm, shift our thinking, and I'm glad to see from a public policy standpoint, so much of that conversation happening. But now we need to make sure that those conversations are converted into action. And so whether it's talking about reallocation of our funding so that we're thinking more in terms of diversion and thinking more in terms of treatment and moving away from more punitive standards and operating procedures to changing and being very intentional about things like the composition of not just who is on our police departments and things like that, but also what kind of mechanisms there are for transparency and oversight and community input so we can have a true two-way street in terms of what's happening in the dialogue and the conversations that are occurring in that space. None of this work is easy. All of this work is messy and complicated and hard because we have a large country with a lot of different divisions, not just along racial lines, but those are the ones that I think have the deepest history and are the most raw. And so it is very difficult when you're within that community of law enforcement to step out and to speak out in that way. And I give those individuals who do so a lot of credit. Thanks for tuning in to this K-Cup mini episode of Time for Coffee. If you want to listen to our entire caffeinated career conversation, please check out the show notes for this episode. Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.